This episode is brought to you by Awesome CX by Transcom. Awesome CX provides high-touch, personalized customer experience services to consumer brands of any size. Stay tuned for a special offer for Stairway to CEO listeners later in the show. Hello, everyone. It's Lee Green, and welcome back to the Stairway to CEO podcast. It's my mission to bring you real, honest, and unfiltered interviews with some of the most innovative founders and CEOs from all walks of life. We'll talk about their climb to the top, their stumbles along the way, and the steps they took to get them to where they are. So tune in to get inspired, listen to some real talk, and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Lee Green. Welcome back to the Stairway to CEO podcast. This is episode 175. And today I sat down with Janine Lobel, the former founder of Stila Cosmetics and currently the founder of Neen. Neen is a clean, sustainable and innovative cosmetics brand featuring a unique tech enabled subscription card that provides easy to follow tutorials featuring real people and all the products you need to do a makeup look. Janine shares her story from being born and raised in Sweden to moving to San Francisco for four years with her mom following a divorce from her dad, which led her to dropping out of school when she was just 16. She talks about how she worked at makeup counters until she landed her first professional makeup gig, how she started her first company, Stila, how Stila got acquired in 1999 by Estee Lauder, and why she decided to start Neen. If you like what you're hearing on the Stairway to CEO podcast, don't forget to click subscribe, leave us an awesome review, and check us out at stairwaytoceo.com. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, Janine. Thanks so much for joining me on the show today. I'm really excited to hear your story in building Neen, as well as Stila and so many other things. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much. I mean, yeah, I'm always happy to talk about, you know, what it's been like. You know, you're the first Janine on the show. And I have to say the name Janine is very close to my heart because when I was studying French in like, I had to study it for years in middle school. And that's the name I chose. Well, that was your like, that was my French name. name. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You got to choose a French name. And I chose Janine. I don't know why I did that. But I had your name for years in French class. Funny. My mom gave me this name and it was such a like, nobody was named Janine. And you know, when you're like a kid and you just, I just want to be like everybody else, you know, was one of those, right? Or Jennifer, at least for me. Tiffany, (laughs) (laughs) Heather, you know, back then it was all about being the same. Thankfully today, it's all about embracing difference. So things have improved for sure. So speaking of childhood, what was it like growing up? Where are you from originally? Tell us about what childhood was like. Well, I have a pretty uh, different childhood. I was actually, my parents are from Queens, but I was born and raised in Sweden. Didn't expect that, right? (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Born and raised in Sweden. Why? How did that happen? You know, my dad was quite a character and he was in the Korean War. He was a cook. So it wasn't like he saw combat and was all freaked out, right? But he came back to America and he just wanted to be somewhere else, whatever his reasons were. And he made his way to Spain they made their way to Denmark. And my mom came and joined him. They weren't married yet. They got married in Spain. And they ended up in Stockholm. And just as a side story, they were like super broke. They were living above a restaurant. And they had to use the bathroom in the restaurant. So my dad goes down to the bathroom one night. And he's like, damn, we got to go back to America. We don't have any money. We don't have this. And he sees an envelope stuffed behind the toilet tank. And he takes it. And he goes up to his room. And it was enough money to live for six months. And he must have walked in on some deal. deal. (laughs) Yeah, something shady. And so they ended up staying there. And he he was a writer and a journalist. And he worked for the first in-flight magazine, which was Pan Am. Yeah, it was Pan Am magazine. And then he started a PR and advertising firm. And it went on from there. So we grew up there. And I spoke Swedish. And I had an English tutor. And I lived there till I was 12 and I loved it. And it was a very different way to, it's very different. You know, it was socialist country. So I guess I'm still a little bit of a socialist 
probably more than most, having experienced a functioning socialist society, right? So it's a little different. But we'd come to America in the summers and like, you know, we had like two TV channels back then. And, you know, my grandparents was like the clicker, you know, it was probably this size of like a paperback at that stage. And, you know, the TV and the just the massiveness of everything, you know, was interesting for me. So funny. Did you have siblings growing up or like what kind of things were you into? Well, there's nothing to do there. Right. So, you know, you learn to just have fun with three rocks on the street. You know, when I was little, I played Mahjong as a kid all the time. And, you know, you know, it's nature. Like even if it's Stockholm's like surround, you know, there's woods. It's uh, the arc is built on all these islands. So it was like just a lot of pretend, you know, I grew up with a lot of imaginary play. And I say this because I think it's relevant today, you know, like my kids, I raised and they weren't allowed to watch TV and they didn't have phones until they had to like go to school on their own. Then they got a like a, you know, no smartphones, but they could watch a movie on Saturday because I wanted them to develop an imagination and also you know, distress tolerance, although I didn't know that that's what it was called back then, which is like knowing how to be bored, knowing how to daydream, knowing how to have your negative feelings, you know, instead of escaping, because we all do, I do too, right? We escape with technology, we distract ourselves. And I feel like, you know, when kids are constantly have a tablet or a thing, like when do they sit and just look out the window and and daydream? and, And I think that developed skills for me, to be honest, you know, having a huge imagination. Absolutely. That's why that's relevant to me. When you look back at your childhood, do you see kind of anything that was entrepreneurial that you did and, or like just creative problem solving or whatever you view entrepreneurship as, did you see kind of traits of that in your childhood? I guess, uh, no, it's not like we, you know, we had lemonade stands and, you know, shit like that really but I think you were just creative it sounds like you were just very creative as a kid and imaginary yeah we just made stuff all the time you know I taught myself to read when I was not even four years old on my own and I you know because my sister had an English tutor so she would go in her room and they would read together and I was little I would listen and I remember sitting there with like Winnie the Pooh and teaching myself how to read you know, so I guess I wanted to read. Like I wasn't watching TV, like I said, and so, so I became an insane reader, you know. So by the time I was 12, I was reading like 20-year-old material. That's know? really good. I was really good at memorizing. So I, I like tricked my parents early on and they thought I could read, but I actually had just memorized the whole book. So that's good. That's <laughs> no, a good one. No skills. So then where'd you go after 12 years old? You grew up in Sweden and where'd you go? So my mom divorced my dad when I was 12. And moved to San Francisco. My sister went to boarding school in Sweden. My dad stayed behind in Sweden. I lived in San Francisco for four years and became quite a troubled kid. I got in a lot of trouble all the time. Was that because you missed your dad? You missed the family unit and maybe missed Sweden and you felt like you were somewhere new and it was tough to transition? Yeah, like I think now I understand it. At the time, I didn't, obviously. But I think, you know, I lost my father, my sister, my language, my friends, my country. You know, it was like a huge trauma. And, you know, of course, nobody dealt with. And my mom was like very about her, right? And what she was going through. So I don't say that with like blame or resentment. It's just how it was, you know? So, but I was also like, I started working at like... I think when I was 13, I was working for my mom's friend who was like, she sold like earrings and I was like gluing backs on earrings. So I made money like that. Then I was either 14 or 15. I was a file clerk after school in a patent law firm. They thought I was in college because I I realized that, you know, and of course I didn't get along with my mom. I'm like pissed as fuck at this point at her, right? You know, I was like, well, I'm going to have my own money and then nobody can tell me what to do. That's amazing motivation. And I was just bad. You know, it's just naughty. I was like drugs and all of it, you know, shoplifting. You know, I had to go to juvenile hall, see the therapist there. I mean, it was a mess, but Uh, Anyway, a real rebel, a real, I was a real rebel. And then when I was 16, I dropped out of high school and moved back to Sweden 
Wow. You were really aching to get back. Yeah. But you know, you can't go back. You know, I went back and I lived there for a year and got in more trouble. And my dad had moved to London by this point. So I'm like a punk rock kid. I'm like 16. All my so you friends were are- like, I'm going to, did you go to Sweden like before your dad left or after he left? After. You there by- so you went by yourself knowing. Yeah. Was your other sibling there or anybody, maybe old friends? I mean, I had some friends there. Okay. So you maybe missed your friends. Listen, like, I'm still friends with my best friend from first grade. Okay. So like, I'm a, yeah, I'm a lifer, but like at that point, you know, I'm like this wild girl who's like running She's around like, with who like are you? 20 year old dudes and going oh. to, you know, clubs and, and whatever and all these punks and you know, I sort of drifted from them at that point and I had kind of like a new group of friends who I'm actually also still friends with. But it got sort of got to the point where people who knew my dad started calling him and they were like, you got to get your kid out of here. Like she's. A, yeah. So then I moved in with my dad in London and went back to high school. I went to a private school, an American school there. Basically, I had two years of high school to do. But I did two years in one year and got out after, you know, I was like that kid, you know, where it's like every report card or letter home said does not apply yourself, you know? And so when I applied myself and I was like, I got to get out of this school shit, you know, like, like <laughs> I could do not for me, school is not for me, could double up and get out. Right. You know? Okay. So you were motivated to finish high school. So instead of two years, you did it in one year in London at this American type of high school. And then what? So you're free. You got out of high school. Now what? I did some theater school. And then I'm not quite sure the order exactly. Oh, I did some theater school. Then me and my best friend moved to Paris. And I was doing some theater school. I just, you know, doing a lot of drugs, big substance abuser, boyfriends, you know, messy, messy, messy to, you know, many, you know, multiple boyfriends, all like crazy. And then after that, I moved back to London. And so that friend that I had been with, she had gone to makeup school in London. And I was like, wait, what's that? Right? Like, what's what's makeup? What do you mean? You know, that's a job kind of thing. So she had been my best friend in high school, uh, just a funny aside story. And she was Guy Ritchie's big sister, you know, Guy Ritchie. Yeah, I think a few people have heard, um, but feel free to share for those that maybe don't know who Guy Ritchie is. He's a famous director now, but he was like the little brother. And we were always getting fucked up, wasted, you know, who would always want us. He'd be like, can I, you know, smoke with you guys or whatever? And we'd be like, no, fuck off, (laughs) you know. Anyway, so, you know, my name's a little mud with that family because, you know, she got in so much trouble, too. But in any case, so she went to makeup school. So then I went to this makeup school in London and it was great. Oh, at one point here, I went to NYU, actually, and I lasted like three weeks and left that behind. But in any case, so I go to makeup school and then I move back to America and I start working at makeup counters. You know, that was kind of my start. And from there, I got my first like professional makeup job, which was to be, there was like two of us or three of us who worked on it. We did the music video for the movie Hairspray by John Waters. So that was my first job. And I remember it so specifically, which was, you know, it was like a total act as if moment, you know? So I like watched what everybody who knew what they were doing was doing. I was like, oh, so when the music stops, you run in, you make sure the face isn't shiny, the lipsticks, got it, right? Like, you know, so I, I really just learned set. I never assisted really, except on one experience, but I just sort of learned set behavior and what to do just by saying, I mean, I would get these calls big. Yeah, we're doing this video and we need to age the singer. You know, she's going to look like she's aged at the end, you know, like a stop motion thing. Do you know how to do aging? Yeah, sure. I can do that. And then I like drive to the valley and go see like Maurice Stein, you know, the old Cinema Secrets makeup studio guy. I'd be like, Maurice, how do you do aging? <laughs> and I'd teach myself. And or they'd be like, Oh yeah, can you do hair and makeup? I'd be like, sure. And they'd be like, Can you give him a trim? I'd be like, uh-huh. <laughs> Just, you know, we didn't have YouTube. 
there's no YouTube. So I think because I had had my first jobs, you know, 14, 15 years old, I had a good work ethic, you know, I just knew how to work and I didn't have an ego attached to it. You know, I think when your ego starts to get in the way, tricky, right? Well, and you thought you could do things or at least figure it out. And so you just said yes to all of these things. It's funny that you said yes to the haircutting because just reminds me when I was in college, I had a, well, not even a friend, this girl was like trying to get her hair cut. And she's like, could you cut my hair? Do you know how to cut hair? I was like, yeah, because my mom's a hairstylist. So I'm thinking, yeah, it's in my blood. I can cut hair. This is easy. I've seen it my entire life. No, I destroyed her hair. Like I I was going to say, are you still friends? No, not at all. She had to get it fixed (laughs) the next day. It was horrible. It was like, I was good until I went to the front. So like the back I Uh, got, it was fine. And then I went, I got ambitious. Okay. I got too ambitious. And I was like, you know, what would look great. Oh no. Yeah, exactly. Bad idea. I should have just left with a success, but instead I'm like, let's take this further. I was like, you know what you need? You need layers. You need some. Oh, no, 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 no. Never, never. Layers from the face (laughs) down, like starting at the cheek, trying to layer it down. And I've seen it a million times. I'm like, you just glide the scissors downwards, right? So I get in there and I don't have professional scissors at all. And even if I did, it probably wouldn't work. And instead of gliding down, no glide, just straight across, like just a, a whack of a jaw by the cheekbone, just chopped off a chunk of her hair by her face. And I was like, oh my God. And I literally lost it. I laughed so hard and I felt bad. I was laughing, but I thought it was really funny. And I run into the other room and I'm laughing hysterically. And my friends are like, what's going on? Why are you laughing? And this poor girl. So I had to go back and I had to finish the job. So I had to do the other side. So it looked even. And then she's like, uh, this isn't what I thought. And she was actually surprisingly very cool about it, but she fixed it the next day and she was fine. But that's when I learned, you know. And she, she forgave you. She forgave me. <laughs> and I, I learned a very big lesson that day that I cannot cut hair. And don't ever try to do the angling around the face and anything fancy, you know, that's a professional job for sure. Oh, yeah. I think that I had this sort of weird kind of on a personal note, like I'm not really like a super egotistical person, like I'm better than X, Y, like whatever. Right. But I'm just very matter of fact, like, why not? Why can I not do that? You know what I mean? Which is different. It's like I'm confident but not in terms of comparing myself or thinking I'm bad. It's just like, sure, I'll figure it out, you know? And so there's a certain amount of self-reliance that I cultivated by having what I would say unskilled parents, right? I cultivated a lot of, like, I'm an island. I just figure it out and take care of myself and whatever, you know? And it's not like, (laughs) it just is, you know? Right. You built this like resilience muscle maybe very early on that you knew you could do it. So you had this confidence you could figure it out. And that starts really early, I believe. Yeah. It's much more difficult speaking specifically about young women and men too, to sort of build that, right? It's like, it takes a lot of work. But I also remember being in my 20s and having to build, you know, new ideas about myself, internal work. I just innately knew how to do on my own, which we now call DBT or CBT or self-talk or self, whatever these words are now, I just like, okay, this is fucked. You got to stop thinking this stuff about yourself. I say this to my daughters all the time and other people, like when you have, what does my daughter call it? What are your intrusive thoughts? Her and her friends talk about it all the time, like their intrusive thoughts and stuff. She's studying to be a therapist, but you have to find like those phrases, whether it's for your personal life, your relationship, whatever, or your business that you teach yourself that soothe you and that, you know, you insert after your anxious thoughts or your fear-based thoughts or your self-loathing, right? So whatever, like if you think, godly, what, what are you thinking? You can't be doing this shit. You're like in over your head or whatever, right? And then your thought can be, uh, no, that's not true right? That's my big one is I say to myself, no, that's not true. You know, I felt that my mom actually never really thought that I'd make it in modeling. And so I, the rebel in me was like, no, I think I can. Right. But it wasn't ever an ego thing. Like you were saying before of comparing myself at all. It was just kind of my own curiosity and thinking otherwise, basically just matter of fact, I felt otherwise. And so 
It's interesting, but and that was very early on, and I felt like that was a really pivotal thing because I ended up modeling and and traveling the world and being with top agencies and all these things. So I was able to prove it wrong. But I just wonder also where does that come from? Even earlier than high school years for myself, where you really kind of start questioning authority, or you just don't you have your own thought process, just like what you're saying now. Do you remember when that started for you, where you were like? I disagree with you and I'm going to do it this way, my way, because I really believe otherwise. Whereas other people might have been like, oh, maybe they're right. I think it started late for me, probably through my younger years. It was all like external, right? So if these people liked me, I would feel good about myself. If these people didn't like me, I would feel right. Like you remember when you're in that place or whatever, you know, this teacher hates my guts, so I'm terrible. Like it was always external. And then I think probably in my early 20s is when I learned to uh, shift that. But at the same time, having said that, I think that at a very early age, I was like, and my parents are nice people. So I always hate to talk shit about them, but Well, every parent F's up, right? It's like they're all they all mean well, but they all messed up somewhere. And I'm a mom now, too. I'm I'm sure I'm messing up. So I I hear you on that. You know, we all love our parents, but they're not perfect. But I think very early on, I think I was just like early teenage years. I was like, okay, you're not showing up for me, period. Like, that's what's happening here. And so I'm not going to go to a dry well. I'm not going to feel a certain way about myself. Like a lot of young women, I think, you know, when they have like, you know, an absent father, you know, a father doesn't tell the truth, you know, whatever, whatever, judgment, whatever, right? You know, they run around the rest of their life, like reenacting that, right? And or only feeling comfortable in a relationship that is like that, right? And so, you know, we're talking a lot about mindset, but this also applies to business, right? It takes a long time to develop, like, does this feel right? Because it's what I'm used to, but it's actually really fucked up. Or is this right? I always think of it as two voices, like who's talking, you know, and even in business, like you can choose things because it's from your damage, so to speak. Right. And and you feel comfortable with it, or you must've experienced so much shit as a model, you know, like, I mean, I was always and the makeup artist. Yeah. yeah. But like, as a makeup artist, I was always the one who was like, you don't have to do that to the model or, or I'd be like, I'd go like this so they could see that their boob was falling out or, you know, like I was always protective in that way. Right. It's like, I don't care if you're in the steno pool or an entrepreneur, you know, like it's all there. Right. So it's important to figure out what place you're choosing from really. And why you're uncomfortable. Is it, are you uncomfortable? This just makes me really uncomfortable. Well, that could be a good thing because that means you're doing something different for you and different feels uncomfortable until you get there. Right. Unless you're a model and some photographers trying to tell you to take your shirt off and you feel uncomfortable. Oh yeah. Well, that's a whole other uncomfortable. uncomfortable. Yeah. We're not talking about like, you know, the handsy folks out there, which we've all, I've experienced it, you know, because the triplicate when I was a makeup artist too, you know? So how, yeah, I got some good stories. I'm sure you do. I mean, that was like the wild era, you know, that was like oh my prime God. time, I'm sure, to be in that industry. was it was Well, like especially in the era. music thing, you know, I started in all those music videos. So, you know, there's some wild shit going down around there for sure. Very unregulated, right? Anyway, so from music videos, I went to photo shoots and sort of, you know, grew my clientele, whatever. And then I had a friend, like a casual friend who asked me if I would help her do a makeup line. And that's part one. Stila Stila chapter. Yes. Stila chapter, which was, I guess I was 28 when we started all that. And I, again, like I kind of woke up and found like a whole other person living inside of me that I didn't know, you know, that knew how to, develop product and design packaging and do slogans and create these illustrations. And I was like, whoa, where did she come from? I mean, were you like, instead of where did she come from? Were you like, oh, there you are. Like you've always been there, but now you get to truly kind of shine. Or was this like a stranger? It was like, where did she come from? Really? Yeah. In a cool way, not in a 
it, not in a weird way, but just like right. in a like, wow, I can do this, you know, cool. like it was yeah. really fun. I mean, it was really, you know, I mean, I knew that I was like resilient, hardworking, you know, really good at talking people into doing stuff for me, you know, nice uh, persuasive. That's helpful. Persuasive. Just, I say this all the time and it kind of I reference it sort of earlier. It's like, I don't need to be smarter than other people. Like I admire smart people, you know, I admire people that are less smart. I admire kind people, like whatever. Right. I just need to be smarter than the problem in front of me. Like I like, I'm like Nancy Drew, right? I, I want to find the solution, you know, that's a big driver for me. Like, how do I make things different? And that sort of comes in a lot now with like packaging and product and like, you know, just want to beat my last idea kind of thing. And so what was it like building your first company? What was it like? And then obviously you were acquired by SD Lauder in 1999. Can you kind of talk about what that whole, you know, process felt like and reflecting back some of the lessons you learned in building your first business? Well, you know, I guess this is relevant to the entrepreneurship piece. I had a partner, didn't have my work ethic. And that was very difficult, right? So, and who also wanted to be in the background, right? Like didn't want to do whatever, right? So initially I'm like, I start compensating for that because I feel like that's called my nature too. Like, oh, you know, look at these colors we made. We, 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 right? Like trying to make it okay for that person who's meanwhile, like copping all sorts of resentments, right? And I'm just speaking of this, you know, because people are in partnerships. It's very, very difficult, you know? And I remember, you know, sort of got wind of like her shit talking me to people who worked for us which wasn't a huge deal. Right. But like, it was like, okay, we're not doing that. You know, taking her out to lunch and being like, listen, I talk shit about you every fucking day to people outside of the office who you don't know, whether it's my husband or other friends, because I have to, to get through this. And you have every right to say shit about me, but not to people who work for us. You know, so I nipped that in the butt. She got that. But it was just like, you know, it was like five years of me doing more and then just sort of mentally having to surrender to it and, and not be focused on it and just be like, OK, this is what you can do. And this is what you're capable of. Just stay out of my way. It literally was stay out of my way, you know, and I just went full steam ahead. And then prior to Estee Lauder, we had been speaking for like nine months with a huge company as well who wanted to acquire us. I mean, there, a, it was LVMH. Like when I say huge, you know, I'm like, they're flying us to Paris and we meet Bernard Arnault and this and that and everything else. But the guy that was, oh my God, if they ever hear this, they're going to hate me even more. I don't think he works for them anywhere, but he was like sort of the negotiator guy. I couldn't, I just couldn't. Right. And we'd get to this one place and then what came back on paper was totally different. And and finally, I was like, you know, I got everybody in, you know, my business manager, her, this lawyer who worked for us. We all got on a call and I was like, I don't want to do this. I, I don't feel good about it. I don't like these people, not the LVMA, but the, the negotiators. I, I said, I'm done. I'm like over it. Right. And. I, of course, had income from my makeup artistry and she had no income. So I agreed to like, okay, we'll give you a salary to keep you going, you know. Everything this was... is your partner that you didn't like? Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. And because I just wanted out of this, and she wanted this, right? Because she wanted to make some money, and rightfully so, right? But whatever. So then, meanwhile, Leonard Lauder had been calling us. And so, you know, we got rid of you know, that first situation, which did not go over well. And then, you know, he's called, he called us like three times maybe. And finally he was going to be in LA and I was like, let's go meet him. Like, when the fuck am I going to meet Leonard Lauder? Right. You know? And so we go meet him. This is a few months later, I think on like a Thursday or a Friday. And he's at the, like the Bel Air hotel 
Tell me if I'm being too long winded with these stories. I think it's great to hear these stories, you know, because I think there's a lot of entrepreneurs going through maybe conversations like this and trying to navigate exits or opportunities. Well, right. So what I wanted to say about that is like, which I was going to talk about a little bit later is like, sometimes, you know, like with the, the first company, right? It was like, you talk yourself into things because they seem like they're going to be easier, make your life easier. You're like beat up, burn out over it. You need to whatever. And you don't really listen to your gut about something. And it inevitably never works out. It has that's been my, like I'll hire somebody. Cause I'm like, I don't want to talk to these kind of people anymore. Like just use her. And then I was being lazy and it didn't work out. Right. So you have to be really thoughtful about these things. Anyway. So we go see Leonard. And I'm so excited. You know, he's Estee Lauder's son. Like, what the hell, right? And I'm such an idiot, too, because so he has this big terrace at his hotel suite, and there's all the people there, and we're sitting on the terrace talking, and I'm smoking. Like, I'm such a ding-dong. I'm, like, smoking. You don't smoke in front of Mr. Lauder. It's just not okay. Well, but who knew at that time? I mean, everybody was smoking. I know, and he's so polite. Like, he didn't even go, like, listen, sweetie, don't be smoking in here. Anyway, we had a great lunch and he's asking me questions like, you know, like he's like, so how do you price something like this? You know, how do you set your price point? I said, how do I set my price point? I said, well, I sit around with my girlfriend and I say, what the fuck would you pay for it? And then we go from there. Not what he wanted to hear, right? Like, No, he was howling. He was cracking up. He probably thought you were joking. He loved it. You know, I think- Things have gotten so probably so corporate over there that one of the fun parts for him was the acquisitions, whether it was Bobby or Stila, you know, that was that's I think it was exciting for him in some way. Right. Entrepreneurs. His mom was an entrepreneur. And he basically said after that meeting, he told them, give her what she wants. I don't care. And so I threw out this like stupid number, which I can't repeat. And I think we were done by the next week. It was crazy. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. Customer service and call centers are rarely topics that people get excited about. But Awesome CX is simply different. Their inclusive culture rooted in wellness and fun means that their teams are encouraged to be their best selves personally and professionally by providing them with everything from mental health and healthcare resources to career development. And regardless of the size of your business, Awesome CX is uniquely positioned to support you throughout your growth. They work with some of the fastest growing startups like FabFitFun, Carbon38, Lettuce Grow, Mudwater, and so many more. Want to see it to believe it? Just email me directly at lee, L-E-E, at stairwaytoceo.com to request to join one of their coffee chats where you can meet with their amazing team and witness the agent engagement yourself. You'll be so impressed. I can't wait for you to learn more about Awesome CX to make your brand's customer experience awesome. Thank you so much to our incredible sponsors for supporting the Stairway to CEO podcast. Now let's get back to the show. That's wild. That's insane. So that happened a lot quicker and easier than the other route and probably felt more natural. I would have sold them like my firstborn child. I mean, he was just, he's so amazing, you know, and he's just amazing and inspiring. And, and also like, I felt like, you know, I, I can remember going into our warehouse, which it's, you know, we started in my house. We had like a one room warehouse and we had a tiny office with the warehouse behind it. And then like, finally we have this warehouse and I have like a forklift you know, in there. And I, I, and just being panicked, right? Like I need some grownups in the room. Like I need, like I need grownups in the room. And so that's why I wanted to sell more than anything was just for the longevity or the support or whatever. And to learn from other people, you know, like they know a lot of stuff that I didn't know, you know? And so, yeah, acquisition is tough. I don't think, I don't think I know anyone who's super happy after an acquisition. Unfortunately, I think it's the nature. I sat on a plane once with a big kind of movie producer guy who had his own little company that made some of the biggest kind of teen film, whatever. And he must've Googled me when I, we're still friends. I went to the bathroom or something because I came back and he said, Janine, what's it like to sell your company? 
And I said, the only people that ask me that question are people who have offers. My answer to that is make sure that whatever you get, you're happy enough that whatever comes next, you don't care. You know, like, like if things don't go well after the acquisition and you're yeah. stuck at a company that you're not really excited about anymore. Yeah. And then you're like angry about or whatever. But I mean, you know, if you make a certain amount of money and you have a certain amount of security or whatever, you can kind of, you know, and in my case, I had so many children, right, over the years that like, for me, like my kids were my kids, my company wasn't my child. I wasn't in that place. But when people are super personally attached, they have to figure out, you have to be prepared to walk out the door and see the whole thing like spontaneously combust, right? Like you cannot have expectations that it's going to be on the trajectory that you had set for it. It does not happen sometimes, but rarely. So you kind of have to like man up for that, you know? Yeah. Get ready to emotionally detach. Mm -hmm. 100%. And how much are you willing to pay to emotionally detach yourself? Yeah. Yeah. It's tough, but you know, it's a particular kind of journey, but like, who knows, you know, I could have tanked the whole thing five years later on my own. I don't know. You know, like never know, right. With market conditions or anything can come. Yeah. I have no idea. Flying through the window. And so what happened after that? Were you at Estee Lauder for a while afterwards? How long? I was there for like like roughly my contract was for five years. And then I sort of part-time dabbled for a couple of years. But it sucked. I mean, there's just no other way to put it. They call that the ball and chain, right? It's like the ball and chain. I don't know what they call it, but it's it's weird. It's weird. Yeah, it's just a weird dynamic, you know, and it's weird. That's all I can say. So you're there, kind of stuck, couldn't really get your handcuffs on a little bit. Golden handcuffs, I guess, is what they call it. Not the ball and chain. That's maybe something else. What was it like after you were set free? After the five years, you're free. Now what? Well, I had a non-compete for like, you know, a million years. And Estee Lauder ended up selling Stila to somebody at some point. And somebody hadn't gotten the right signatures on something at some point. And they needed my signature for something. And I said, fine, you can have it. But in exchange for getting rid of my non-compete. That sounds like a really lucky situation, <laughs> like a random. Anyways, I got out of that. And then, and meanwhile, I'm, I'm living in New York now and I'm working as a makeup artist a lot still and having some great experiences with all of that. And then I worked on the Kevin Aquan line for a year. Somebody invested in that and asked me to come in and help out, which I did gladly because I loved Kevin. He was a great man, kind of like they had, over the years, you know, since he had passed before they actually launched the brand, you know, they changed formulas and they hadn't evolved in the right way. And so I went in and like redesigned some of the packaging and made duos instead of all five pans and whatever, brought back some of the old formula. So that I did that for a year. That was fun. And then I don't even know what year I'm up to now, maybe 2015, 2016. I have no, I have no sense of time. And then just kept working as a makeup artist. I got a ton of kids at this point. And then a few years ago, I was like, all right, now what do I, I'm ready. You know, I always say like, I, part of the reason I wanted to do something like this again was like, you know, I'm a very like anticipate something bad and get ready for it before it happens. You know, when I was little, I used to, I was like trying to teach myself sign language in case I became hearing impaired I mean I always had this disaster it wasn't like Like I was a fear yeah prepper like exactly total prepper that's the perfect expression I don't have a bunker or anything but you know I'm a prepper just a small one (laughs) under my bed shoebox put the dog in I was like okay so all my kids are gonna leave and you know I love doing makeup artistry but like there comes a point where you know you only want to do so much of that too and all the time I've had all these crazy ideas about brands I wanted to do for kids or this or that. And then this kind of stuck with me and I was like, okay, empty nest syndrome might be coming my way. They're all going to ditch me and I need to be busy. So (laughs) meanwhile, half of them are still here. They won't leave, which is awesome. I love it. But in any case, then I had this, this kind of idea about things, uh, how to, 
like, I want to make a brand that's like this now. And then, you know, over time, it's sort of formed in different ways, or I found different things. You know, the original Stila was, I can show you, but you can't see it on screen, but like, this was the original package. It's cardboard, right? So all the compacts were cardboard. The lipstick tubes were cardboard. The uh, lip glosses were aluminum. And we did use some plastic as well. And I just kind of did that without thinking about it. It wasn't like, yeah, it'd be a great marketing move to do blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it'd be a great marketing move to use illustrations instead of models. And it just was like an extension of me in a weird way, you know? So like, I guess what, what I'm trying to say is like, when you make a business, I, for me, when it comes from your personal values, I feel like people feel that, right? I think one of the things with Stila, people felt like a person had made this for them. So when I came back at it, I wanted to do another version of environmentally friendly packaging. I don't know. Did they send you anything before? Yes, I have it here. I have a bunch of things here and it's awesome. I love this. Like the, I love the card because you can like try the different types of eyeshadows and creams you have here. It's a really cool way. It's kind of like a scratch and sniff almost feels like, but you can't sniff it. Yeah. It's a great way to feel like you're getting a bunch of different ways to sample stuff because it's hard to make commitments, I think, to certain colors or, you know, buying a tube of something. It's like hard to choose what you want. So this is a fun way to try it. Right. And also like, you know, I always say I'm the idiot in consumer goods telling you not to consume so much, but like, you know, you buy like an eyeshadow palette, you know, with 16 colors and you use two, you know, and that palette has a magnet in there, has a mirror, it's not recyclable, blah, 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 you know, it goes on. Right. And so why not? That's part one. Part two is showing how five colors can work across five different skin tones, five different ways, right? So on that card you're showing, there's me, you know, who's far from 20 years old, wearing like a shimmery lavender and a blue smoky kind of, and I made it kind of rock and roll. And then there's another woman who looks totally different from me wearing it a different way, right? And also like having the ability, you can scan those tutorials and it'd be like, oh, I like the way Janine did her look, or I like how Alexandra did her look, right? Whatever it is. And you scan it and you can follow step by step. And they're just people. They're not like super pros doing their makeup. They're just, we have cards like where Hajin, who's on one of our cards, her tutorial starts with her saying, I don't know how to do makeup. I never do makeup. And it's true. And she does a simple but great makeup, right? So the other part is like, each person on the card, their name is on the card. When you scan the tutorial, they tell their story, you know, like a minute, whatever. Sometimes some of the tutorial is them talking about themselves. We pop up their Instagram so you can follow them, inter get to know them, whether they're artists or talking about mental health or being a comedian or we have all, all different, you know, because it's like, I see how the industry shifted, you know, in the last couple of years, like, you know, you used to go to these stores and, you know, the photos would tell you you had to be 20 and look like Kate Moss or right. And now you go in and you see, you know, the indigenous woman, the, this, you know, the 40 year old. Right. So it's definitely it's a shift. But I had the advantage of like building those values of mine in from the get go instead of having to change and tell everybody how no, we've changed, you know, like. That Victoria's Secret tag, we've right. changed. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, okay. You know? Okay. I love what you're doing here. It's really amazing. What inspired you to start something new? You mentioned, you know, the empty nest worries about that. And you were like, I'm ready to maybe try something new. When was that aha moment for you when you realized, okay, this is it. I want to start this new brand. Like, do you remember where you were, what you were doing when that kind of you know, I'm more of a, a germinator, ruminator type, you know? So I, I thought, wouldn't it be cool if you could send these postcards to people and with looks on them and they could try them. And then initially I was just like, okay, it should just be like this, you know, this swatch cards. And then it was like, well, they, 
initially I wanted it to be like, vote for your favorites and I'll make those full size, but it just wasn't feasible, you know, with lead times and production and all this stuff. It's really like a tumbleweed or a snowball, right? It doesn't, you know, it doesn't all come to you. And you also have to like know when new information comes in for you to make changes or pivoting, you know, I had to find somebody who could make those swat. No one's ever put the, like you can get a card with like three powders or, you know, you peel back, but nobody's made anything where the powders and the creams are on the same and the tutorials are like, like the whole thing. Right. Like right? how to use it. Yeah. Yeah. The whole story, you know, the, the tutorial, the obviously it's FSC forest certified paper, you know, you can recycle it, blah, blah, blah. You know, all those things had to come together. And then I was like, okay, so I need to make the full size colors at the same time. You know, so it all, what kind of packaging am I going to use? You know, I was looking at aluminum metal because I don't like plastic. It's not that I don't like plastic. I mean, if you look in where I'm sitting, there's plastic everywhere, right? For other brands that I use, whatever, people send me stuff. But I wanted to make a sustainable, refillable package, right? So metal was, you know, oh God, metal, you need to have a magnet. So a magnet actually makes the metal unrecyclable it's like whack-a-mole you know it's like you're just like whacking them all the time so I was like well what kind of a material and I thought of like oh phone cases like your phone case lasts forever it's silicone it's stiff it's too stiff blah 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 and then I found this guy and we started working on this and and here we are you know with a silicone refillable cleanable package you know that I think is cool. And, and then everything else, you know, the shimmers and aluminum too. I mean, the cap is plastic, but hopefully I'll be able to eliminate that eventually. The pencil is wood barrel, again, plastic cap. But, you know, as as I find somebody who can make me one out of something else, we have like a lip gloss coming in like a glass. And then the cap is actually injection molded wood, not plastic, you know, and I'm not like on the soapbox about it. I just don't want to make more trash, period. You do what you do. You That's fine. I don't judge, but like, I don't want to do that. And I also wanted to make products that, you know, I think there's a, you know, we're a clean beauty brand. You know, I, I have issues with that term because it's so you know, there's Sephora clean, there's Ulta clean, there's cult clean, there's detox market clean, like there's different definitions everywhere. So we kind of roll with mindfully formulated, but technically we're Sephora standards of clean. And I feel like there's a sort of misconception that clean products aren't, especially color, I don't know so much about skincare, aren't as good as non-clean that the performance is less and i was like no boy do something about that and i love making makeup you know i love going to the lab yanking all the stuff off the shelves and and making stuff so those were sort of my three things like this community i wanted to showcase not make it about me make it about them you know people being able to try step out of your comfort zone don't just do the same makeup over and over you're going out like do the makeup use that card and you're like, okay, I love this dark navy and this cheek is killer. I'm never going to use this silver or I'm never going to use that. And just, you know, buy the things that you are actually going to use. And you're getting to try things like with this little home beauty school moment. It's really cool. I love what you're doing. I love that you're, you know, focused on sustainability and just being mindful of, of the way you formulate things. And it sounds like the way that you maybe kind of came up with this whole thing is just gradually over time and just really kind of seeking, trying to create something different. And it's almost like you didn't really know maybe what it would be, but you had an idea and you kind of just reiterated on that over time. How much time did it take to kind of reach the finish line of, oh, I've got it. This is what we're going to launch with. I would say almost three years. Wow. Yeah. But I mean, COVID got in there too, right? So, you know, quarantine, you couldn't get samples. But I think I would say two and a half, maybe. I also believe in like just sitting with stuff for a minute, you know, and seeing like, huh, what else? What else is coming in, you know, from the universe about it? You know what I mean? Absolutely. So when did you officially launch Neen? I think it's like just over a year ago. 
And how has it been being back in the founder seat? We all work here in my apartment. So my dining room is like, like our kind of communal office. And then we have like a quiet office, you know, for people who have to do like a lot of boring numbery stuff. All my kids and their friends all come and do stuff. It's been really fun. It's also stressful, but it's really, I, I, you know, I love what I do. You know, I, I mean, things have, some things have been great. Some things have been trickier, you know, like the compact we realized, you know, we had to kind of remake it so that the well was deeper. So the pan sat lower, so it didn't transfer on the lid as much, you know, like boring kind of technical stuff like that we've had to work on and sort of also, you know, we all started thinking about this when it was, you know, like direct to consumer was like the way to go. Right. And as we know, that's changed a lot. You kind of, and also with our brand, we realize it's so much about, you know, if you touch that shadow, like nothing feels like that shadow, right? Like it's really different. So like when people touch it, they're like, whoa, right? So for us, we feel that like the experience of experiencing our product in person is a huge thing for us, you know, because with social media and filter, somebody can make something look amazing. That's, I mean, you see all these like, you know, Instagram, whatever, TikToks, and they're putting on the foundations. Isn't it gorgeous? And I'm like, that foundation is thick and nasty. Like, <laughs> it's nasty. Like, it looks great with your bold glamour filter on. Like, you go, girl. But like, you're telling people to buy something without actually showing what it looks like, right? So it's difficult to compete. And you're competing with like an unreality, right? So having said that, so we have been sort of joining with some partners and going into some stores now. So yeah, that's kind of what I'm focused on right now. That's great. And um, have you raised any outside capital? We were funded by friends and family and initially, and now we're just rolling with that. And then yes, eventually we will have to raise outside capital. There's just no way to get there without it. You know, you kind of have to, and just finding that. And that's a big thing too, like finding the right people, right? Like that's, I mean, the amount of people I know that were like, oh, our investors were horrible or they were liars or they were this or they were that, you, you know, and the, you know, and I think that's the beauty of like not putting your own name on your brand, right? You can take your name with you and go, you know, whereas I know people in fashion who've had this experience or beauty, you know, and their name is gone, you know, to people that they have a huge beef with. I mean, it's terrible. So with calling the brand mean, it's kind of half your name. It's right? my nickname. Oh, it's your nickname. Okay. So people call you Neen. So what was your decision in calling it Neen? When did you come up with the idea for naming the business? Well, it's funny because I've always never wanted to center myself in any of these, you know, Steele, I was never Janine, right? All those things, you know, we're trying to find names and this name and that name, same shit. The hardest thing is to get a trademark. And finally I was like, you know, and they're like, Janine, you know, you're the expert. You're like making all this amazing stuff. You've done all these amazing people's makeup and covers and campaigns and blah, 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 blah. So I was like, all right, what about Neen? You know, I'll surrender my nickname. So <laughs> not the full name, just the nickname. <laughs> yeah. It's more like happy, you know, and friendly, you know, and our website is we are Neen because it's, it's about a we, not a me, you know? Oh, that sounded like a bad Hallmark moment, but yeah, it is, you know, it's about everybody. Like, I just want to like, go like here, I made this for you and this is how you can use it. And this is why it's going to be amazing and foolproof and look great. You're going to, yeah, I always say makeup is a mood altering chemical, 100%. And, you know, it can totally change the way you feel. And that's what I like about it, right? It's one of the things I like about it. So like, I just want to be instrumental in kind of like providing that and what I know. And I mean, I don't know if you noticed inside the compact, it says, may you be happy, may you be free, may you feel beautiful in the little edge around the pan. Yeah, open it up. Oh, you right. See the yes. May you feel beautiful. May you be free. May you be happy. Nice. Which comes from meditation, right? Meta, you know, sending meta, sending good wishes into the world. You know, you send them to yourself to like heal, you know, your pain, shame and trauma. You send it to somebody who's harmed you to forgive them. 
not so they can come over and have dinner necessarily, but just so you're free of the resentment and pain and rage. And then you send it to the world, you know? And so it says, may you feel beautiful, right? Because you can feel beautiful. I don't care what you look like according to other people's standards. If you, I mean, you see women that just feel beautiful and maybe they're not traditionally what society, you know, they're not 20, they're not white, they're not 12 pounds, they're not whatever, right? And you're just like, wow. You know, that girl who's like wearing the tiny bikini and she's like, I'm hot, you know? I, I love that, right? And so you don't have to like change yourself to feel that way about yourself. You have to learn to feel that way about yourself, period. And then makeup is just like, you know, the icing. Totally. Makeup and fashion, I think, are the icing. I always felt that way about the fashion industry, 100%. where it's mood enhancing if if it can change the way people perceive you too, right? It's kind of a interesting weapon right. in that way. But um, I feel like marketing to people's self versus marketing to their self-loathing is a difference right like you know fear-based or like othering or whatever it's just so tired you know like I see ads for beauty and I'm like I don't think I'm gonna look like her if I buy that you know and she doesn't even look like her before we wrap up, what is some final advice you have for aspiring entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs in the trenches right now? Um, grinding it out. <laughs> what advice do you have? And then what's next for Neen? What can we see next? You know, advice is so like user dependent, right? Like depending on what somebody needs, you know, but I always say that I've said this before. There's three questions you have to ask yourself. What am I making? Why am I making? What's my why? What's my what? My why? And who am I making it for? Right. And if you can really get clear on that, you know, and really come from a place of your own values and what you believe. I believe that, you know, that's half the battle. And then also like surround yourself with people like I hate the word mentor, but like I mentor quite a few people. And for me, it's not like you should do this and you should do that. Right. It's like, well, what do you think? And sometimes, you know, like when you hear yourself talk, you know, about anything and you're like, that's it. You know, like, you know, finding your own voice, learning how to listen to that part of yourself that's like not your damaged self, right? Like we talked about earlier. Like it's really important to figure out those things out, you know, and don't ever, ever let anyone tell you that you shouldn't be an entrepreneur. People love to sh fucking try to take shit away from people sometimes. You know what I mean? They're like, are you sure? There's so many apps out there. You know, and it's Literally, like, that's the and you're like, you yeah, sure? I'm sure. <laughs> what do I know? I don't know. if so, I mean, people come to me with ideas. I'm like, geez, I don't know how she's going to make that work, but okay, let's see what I can do. Help you figure that out. Right. I'm not, it's not my job, not my place. You know, the most, like who knew Velcro was going to be Velcro. <laughs> right. Yeah. You just don't know. You're right. You don't know. You don't know. It's all timing. I mean, things have changed so much, you know, between quarantine and George Floyd and so many people have gotten smacked in the face that needed to be smacked in the face. And we're all paying attention and having to be more mindful in other ways. Like who knows what the next thing is and what level that's going to take it. I mean, for me, global warming as I boil to death in New York is huge, right? Trash is, you know, overconsumption, all our resources, all this stuff, like we have to pay attention. Like I, to me, that's super important. So I don't know, just find people who cheerlead you, believe in you, find some good mentors, you know, take time to develop your intuition, your inner voice that's speaking to you from the right place, you know, and you will know what to do. Yeah. And what's the grand vision for Neen? World domination. No, <laughs> of course, obviously. I just want to grow, you know, to go into some more retailers next year. We got a couple possibly lined up and grow the brand and be in a position where I'm not, you know, I could just sort of like, I'm still in that thing where, you know, like mm -hmm. I packed the Nordstrom order, you know what I mean? Like it, we're still there. I'd love to be in that place where I can really 
focus on my strengths more. I'm not a planner like late. We started this conversation with I'm cosmic. I will go where she takes me. Cosmic. I love it. Well, Janine, thank you so much. It was so fun to talk to you and hear your inspiring journey. Thanks so much for sharing your story on the show today. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Stairway to CEO podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Lee Green. And if you have any burning business questions, please feel free to reach us at www.stairwaytoceo.com. We'd love to hear from you. And if you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to the show, tell your friends, leave us a review, and follow us on Instagram at Stairway to CEO. Until next time, guys, keep on climbing.